Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I am Tammy Mack. In 1994, Megan Kanka, a 7-year-old girl in New Jersey, was raped and murdered by a man who lived across the street from her. That man had twice been previously convicted of sex crimes before moving across the street from Megan's family without their knowledge of his crimes. That incident resulted in the state of New Jersey enacting Megan's law to protect the public from sex offenders. Every state now has some form of Megan's Law, which is how sex offender registries got started. But are sex offender registries effective? Are they outdated? And is it time for them to be abolished? The business of being Black today is, of course, sex offender registries. Please welcome Endowed Chair and Distinguished Professor of Psychiatry and Biobehavioral science, Sciences at UCLA, Dr. Gail Wyatt. Hi, Dr. Wyatt. Hi there. How are you? Good. <laughs> Sexual abuse survivor and criminal justice reform advocate, David Garlock. Thank you for being here. Assistant professor at the University of Central Florida, Dr. Larry Walker. Welcome back. Hey, Timmy. Thanks for having me. And justice advocate for pure justice, Ray Brackens. Hi, Ray. Hi, Tammy. Thanks for having me. Thank you. This show is titled The Business of Being Black. And so for that reason, I ask my first question traditionally. Why should Black people care about sex offender registries? Why should Black people care, Ray? Uh, well, thank you again for having me. Uh, I am an advocate for pure justice. And uh, pure justice was founded based on the fact that there are laws that need to be changed. Um, we use research to analyze policies. And then we also have shared that with local elected officials. Now, why do we think it should be abolished? Uh, simply put, I'm glad you gave the backdrop of Megan's Law, because that was a story that is very synonymously tied with what happened and basically spurred the sex offender registry. Now, So why do you believe that uh, Black people should care about the sex offender registry? Uh, because simply put, I think it does more harm than good. Uh, it actually puts a lot of strain on families of individuals who have been accused of the crimes. Ah, Dr. Larry Walker, why should Black people care about sex offender registries? Well, they should care because, Tammy, just like anything else, in terms of Black people and other people of color, these ten things tend to be underreported when it comes to the Black community. So we should care. In addition to that, Tim, it's important that these sex offender registries have been around for decades. I think California was the first one and actually in the late 40s. The other thing to keep in mind is that federal and state level, we have a responsibility to look out for the most vulnerable, vulnerable populations. So specifically children 
And then, like I said, we talked about underreporting and it relates to the black community. We have to make sure we're, that we're protecting other individuals like black women. Um, so it's really important to have these uh, registries in place because they protect the community. Another key thing I want to highlight, uh, Tammy, is that I think in 2006, they passed the Adam Walsh Act in which the federal government said these are the specific crimes that, should, you, that states should have as relates to individuals on the registry. So we're not just talking about all returning citizens here. We're talking about specific individuals and specific crimes. Got it. David, why should Black people care about sex offender registries? Uh, a perfect example is there's an organization in Chicago called the Chicago 400. And these are all Black women and men that are on the registry. And all of these individuals are people who cannot get housing and they're living on the streets. And what they have to do is they have to go see their parole officer every day to register. And so if they had a house or was able to find housing, they would only have to register every month or every three months. And that would provide them the opportunity to have employment. You know, when you have to go register every day, that makes finding a job so much more difficult. Dr. Wyatt, why should we care? I'm, I'm a black woman. Why should I care about sex offender registries? Well, when it comes to sex, Tammy, most of these behaviors are expressed in private. In fact, in our society, we have once said that sex has to be within the, the confines of what the family wants to tell you about sexuality, and it's private. So when someone offends someone else, it's not something that people usually see. And these registries help parents, help individuals. Um, as guidance to know where to live, where to go to school, and give us some idea of where these individuals are. Unfortunately, in the Black communities, many sex offenders are overrepresented. In fact, uh, the housing that is available to them many times is in the Black community. So the Black community should definitely care and be aware of these lists. They are very important to us. So Canada's sex offender registries are for law enforcement only. South Africa's sex offender registries are available to child care facilities so they can screen potential employees and volunteers. Are either of those a better system than we have in the United States where registries are available to the public, Dr. Walker? Well, the reason why we you mentioned Megan's law, the reason why these, these uh, you know, the registries are available for specific crimes is that, once again, protecting the public is a point I made about vulnerable populations. So, and listen, every, every, not every state has a you know, uniform uh, registry system, but we have the system in place because of tragedies you just highlighted. We have to make sure, once again, that we're protecting populations that are frequently victims of, of sex offenders. And not having a registry is, is not, is not a really an option, in my opinion. But what it is an option is my colleagues, a few colleagues are talking about, you know, some of the challenges with the system. And particularly the housing challenge. What's that? And particularly the housing challenge. Yeah. And so, Tammy, I don't have a problem with tweaking, tweaking, tweaking state or federal law. I think that's a different I think that's a different conversation. But completely eliminating sex offender registries, I don't think is safe for the public. If you want to change federal freight laws, make some little tweaks here and there. I think that's feasible. How do you feel about that, David? Well, I think that we have to look at stats. You know, we have to look at data. 95% of sexual offenses are happening by people who are not on the registry. And the recidivism rate 
or rate that somebody who's committed a sexual offense will commit another sexual offense is 1.5 to 5.5%, you know? So what we have to realize is, you know, you're putting this list out there and you're causing the individuals who have offended in the past to have this new uh, label on them. You know, it's that A for adultery that was back in early Puritan time, you know, we're labeling these individuals and telling them that they're not, that they're worthless, they're a monster, and that they can't live in our society because of something that they did. And a lot of times, you know, some of the men that I worked with in the home that I ran, which were primarily people who've committed sexual offenses, some of these individuals, 20 or 30 years in prison, Well, you mentioned the word recidivism, uh, which is the tendency of a convicted criminal to repeat that crime uh, or commit another crime. So should recidivism be taken into account when someone is added to a sex registry? Are you suggesting that they not that not be considered? Can you say that one more time? So I was just making sure that our soulmates knew what that word was. That's a pretty big word there, David, recidivism. Uh, And so it's the tendency of a convicted criminal to commit a crime or uh, of the same magnitude or another crime altogether. And so my question is, should recidivism be taken into account when someone is added to the sex offender registry list? I mean, if you want to keep a a, a registry like this, you know, like Dr. Walker was saying, you know, I mean, uh, recidivism rates is definitely something you'd want to keep in mind if this is where you want to go as far as keeping some type of registry. Um, The work that I did in Lancaster, and I'm on the board of NARSAW, which is National Association for Rational Sexual Offender Laws, you know, and working with these individuals, you know, and these men and these women and just seeing them and that that they're out here, they're succeeding in life and they're not committing new sex offenses. While I was at New Person Ministries, we had over a hundred people come through the program when I was there. There was about five people that went back on technical violations, which means they violated the registry or uh, a parole violation. And only one person went back for a, a hands-on sexual offense, you know? So when we have stuff like that, that is showing that we don't need a list to prevent sexual abuse abuse. You know, the registry didn't prevent me from being abused. It wouldn't have prevented my brother from being abused by the person who sexually and physically abused us. So the question becomes, uh, Dr. Wyatt, should yes. there be a list and should people fall off that list after a certain amount of years? Dr. Walker says that we should amend it a little bit, perhaps tweak it. Uh, can that be a part of tweaking it a- after a certain amount of years, a crime is not committed by that person, they fall off the list? I think so. Um, but the problem really is that the treatment of, of individuals who commit a sexual offense is very poor. When you talk about recidivism, recidivism has to do with committing a similar crime or the same crime again. So we're talking about treatment. The treatment is varied. Uh, There are lots of programs that will um, involve people, but it's very difficult to treat a person with a sexual offense because usually they are also victims of a sexual offense themselves. So they need treatment for their own abuses, and then they need treatment for how it is that they came to want to commit the same kinds of crimes on somebody else. It has a 
uh, intergenerational uh, kind of a cumulative effect on an individual. That's not handled very well in our society. And we tend to overpunish as we do in uh, for almost everything. You know, once you get into the system of being criminalized and being punished, we don't seem to know when to stop. We don't know how to help people to heal, to adjust, to rehabilitate. That's what we need more of. And if a person is doing well, they need to be taken off the list. They, they should not be labeled forever. But it, it, at this Let's continue this conversation when we uh, take a commercial break and come right back. OK. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I'm Tammy Mack. And the business of being black today is uh, sex offender registries. Should they be abolished? Are they still even, uh, you know, are, do, do they make sense anymore in today's world? Uh, Ray, I want to get to you. Um, we just talked about with Dr. Wyatt about perhaps sex offenders falling off the list at some point. Well, individuals are placed on sex offender registries for varying amounts of time. It could be 10 years, it could be 20 years, and it could be for the rest of their lives. How long should someone uh, have to retain the label of sex offender, Ray? Well, in the interim of what everyone was saying, uh, you know, I do believe that, you know, it's an archaic and outdated uh, relic. And uh, I think we should uh, definitely re-examine the laws. But in the interim, we should look at what is the exit strategy? Because if you are convicted for any other crime, whether it be an assault, uh, property crime, whatever it is, and you finish out your sentence and you've shown the state that you are a viable uh, member of society, then you can move on no matter how violent or vicious that crime may have been. And there's no label attached to you. So I feel in the interim, it should be at least as long as the sentence, maybe debatable a few years after that, but I don't think it should exceed 10 years. Well, I, I look, I, I like to keep things very simple and very real. Um, and for me, I think that most people consider uh, sexual offense, and particularly with a minor, is probably the worst crime you could ever commit. Um, and so there becomes this strategy to protect children. So how do we feel about this? Because I hear the conversation and the conversation seems uh, to protect the sexual offender. But how do we continue to protect the child uh, that was offended? Dr. Walker. And the other thing, yeah, I think that's an important point, Tammy. And, you know, I talked about when I talked about protecting the community a, a few minutes ago, and you hit it right on the nose. Listen, in society, we have laws on the books to protect, whether it's have you stop when you're driving your car, stop at a stoplight, et cetera. So when it comes to these uh, sexual offen offenses, and particularly, like it says, those that uh, you talk about when it involved um, children, other, like I said, other vulnerable populations, we have to make sure we hold people accountable. And let's be clear, not all offenses are the same. So now also in terms of how much time we say a lot to say how much a person should be on the registry, that should be left to those at the local level. And then there may some, some jurisdictions might have more of an issue with sexual offenders than other jurisdictions. And that's why I said in 2006, the federal government said these are specific crimes that, that people should be on the registry. So we're not just talking about anyone. We're talking about individuals that um, committed very specific crimes. And listen, the system's not perfect. I used to work on Capitol Hill and I know that 
with, you know, Congress makes mistakes, they make mistakes at the at state level. But the bottom line is, like I said earlier, we can tweak these laws, but we have to make sure we protect children because we also know that sometimes individuals will commit crimes, they get a slap on the wrist, and then and they, once again, they commit these crimes again, particularly comes to sexual offenses. The other thing I want to say is, um, Tammy, I think it's important to return, important to, to support returning citizens. Like many people, I've had people in my family who've committed various offenses. But when it comes specifically to sexual offenses, we have to make sure these people, if they're living in our communities, that you're aware, particularly if you have children or other individuals that might might be um, a victim of a sexual assault. And like I said, it should be left up to your local jurisdictions in terms of how much time that you should be on the registry. Well, one argument against sex offender registries is that they are unfairly harmful to offenders by committing sex crimes. Do sex offenders forfeit that kind of consideration, David? Well, I wouldn't say they forfeit that consideration. And I mean, I always talk about changing the narrative. You know, when I talk about people on the registry, I don't call them a sex offender. I call them a person who committed a sexual offense or is convicted of a sexual offense, you know, because it's all about looking at the individual and using person first language. Um, a, a key point that Dr. Wyatt said is that 35 to 75% of people who've committed sexual offenses were sexually abused themselves. So as far as talking about protecting kids, I think what we have to do is we have to take the money that's being used on this registry and we need to put it towards education. We need to put it towards prevention. If I was told more when I was 11 years old about sexual abuse and that I could go to my dad or I could go to my mom or a pastor or whatever, I know that they would believe me and work with me to get something done, that would have changed everything. I wouldn't have gone through eight years of being abused and my brother and I wouldn't have taken this gentleman's life. But we didn't have that, you know? And so that's where I think we need to get to. We need to go to more about prevention and education. And when we think about the registry, there's about a million people on the registry. 200, I mean, 20% of that, 200,000 people, were children when they went on the registry. They were under 18. So when we're talking about not only harming children, we're putting children on the Sometimes they're on the registry for life. That is a very yeah, that, great, uh, th- yeah, I, that's a very great point. Sometimes when we talk about these sexual offenders, they are oftentimes 18-year-olds who are involved with 16-year-olds, which is a two-year difference, and they're both teenagers. Um, how do we reconcile a situation like that, Dr. Wyatt? Well, we can reconcile it by acknowledging just how poorly America handles any kind of sex-related topic. I mean, you name it. We have parents who don't want their children to have any human sexuality training in school. None, none at all. I've taught sex education in the public schools years ago when my own children were going to uh, elementary school. And I was just amazed that some parents don't want their children to have any information. So they grow up very ignorant. They don't know some of the warning signs. Uh, We can't justify turning away and only using a religious definition of what is appropriate for sex, because that's not what's happening in the real world. When we allow our kids to walk to school or to go to the movies or, you know, go shopping, they're exposed to life. So we have to educate children for life to know what it's like 
for someone to come up to you and say, you know, I've got a dog and the dog just got hit by a car. Can you help me? Can you help me to get the dog to the doctor? Knowing that that's a very common reason that offenders or potential offenders might uh, get the attention of a child. And not something silly like, I'm gonna give you a piece of candy. That might've happened 40, 50 years ago. Today, the reasons for engaging children are really very heart-wrenching, you know, and, and children are very kind and they're usually sympathetic and they wanna be helpful and loving. And so they can get involved in something very innocently. So our community needs to wake up to sexuality. I think that people of color, African-Americans in particular, need to be better educated be, uh, with regard to sexuality because it's been our sexuality that people use to build this country. Yeah. Listen, you just educated me on the new ways of of reeling in children, yes. which is much more complicated and heart wrenching than ever before. It is Absolutely. on a piece of candy today. And mm -hmm. we have to talk about the Internet. It's definitely the Internet today and the access that parents give their children to the Internet. But I this is my first time hearing the, you know, can you help me get my dog to a hospital like that? Uh, I think everyone would stop for and want to help a person out and, and end up in some sort of uh, compromising position after trying to be helpful. I understand that so much. So, yeah, I would imagine education um, it would be he hefty. But oftentimes these we talk about stranger danger, but oftentimes uh, these situations are within the household. Yes. Not, we talk about children. Yes, most but I want of to say abuse occurs by someone that a child knows or has seen. They are not total strangers. But these are people that are in the community. They may be working at the grocery store as the bag person, or you know, but they 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 see them. So it's not like you have to be really concerned that this is someone that you've never had any contact with. They may say hello to you every day, but those people may be grooming the child. You have to, the child has to understand that's the way the person gets in your life. But yeah, when yeah. we come back, I want to talk about um, how to uh, the perception of sex offenders, uh, yes. because the perception definitely um, has a lot to do with that list, but also with sexual offenders uh, having to deal with children and how we feel in America about children. So let's talk about the perception of sexual offenders when we return on the business of being black with Tammy Mack on Fox Soul. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I'm Tammy Mack. And the Business of Being Black today is the Sexual Offender Registry. Please welcome Endowed Chair and Distinguished Professor of Psychiatric and Biobehavioral Sciences at UCLA, Dr. Gail Wyatt, Sexual Abuse Survivor and Criminal Justice Reform Advocate, David Garlock, Assistant Professor at the University of Central Florida, Dr. Larry Walker, and Justice Advocate for Pure Justice, Ray Brackens. Ray, I want to um, kick things off with you here. Um, one argument against the sexual offender registries is that um, they are unfairly harmful to offenders. By committing sex crimes, do sex offenders forfeit that kind of consideration, Ray? Well, first, Tammy, I, I want to say you have to change around a narrative to first look at how does a person commit a sex crime? How does a person get accused of a sex crime? So we all are supposed to start with innocent until proven guilty. So if a person goes through the system and then they're proven guilty, 
nobody really stops to think, well, what was the process to get to that proof of guiltiness? Because the burden of proof is on the state. But people often forget how easy it is to get wrongfully accused. People forget how easy it is. One false accusation it takes, and you're, get, you're getting that on your record. So I'm not here to protect anyone who's guilty and has committed a sex offense. That's not what I'm doing. But what we are saying is you have to be very careful to say how you label people from the beginning because not every person who has that label or carries that label is guilty. And is it say, fair, um, Ray, uh, that people convicted of sex crimes are forced to register as sex offenders when even people who are convicted of murders are not mandated to join registries? I would say there's some logic in that argument. I mean, uh, you know, at some point, sex crimes became the, the crux of crime as pertains to general public opinion. It seems like if a person commits murder, whether it was justified, whether it was violent, if 15 years down the line, that person moves into your neighborhood, nobody's going to say, oh, there's a murder in our neighborhood. But if you were accused of a sex crime, whether it was justified or not, 10, 15 years down the line, if you still have to be on that registry, as most do, People are going to say there's a sex offender in our neighborhood, even if you have been completely clean, if you've been, a, you know, a token of your community for the last 10 or 15 years, you will always carry that label. And in a fair and equitable society, how does that protect anybody? Yeah. If a person I, I, look, I, 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 I have to disagree with you on that murderer thing. I mean, you know, <laughs> if a murderer is in my neighborhood, I kind of sort of want to know, right? I kind of want to know. Um, Dr. White, is it fair? Is it fair that sex offenders are put on a list, but murderers aren't? Well, when you murder someone, there is a body, usually. Um, so it's very visible to see. When you commit a sexual crime, it is usually done in private. Many times people don't tell if they are the victims or the survivors. So it's something that our society doesn't know how to handle. So at least if we have a list, then you can look at the list when you're buying a home or when you're going to um, a school district trying to decide where you want your children to go to school because you can't see. And sometimes sexual offenders are very professional. They are in the ministry, they're in the police. Uh, uh, departments, they are in universities, they are teachers, they are everywhere. They don't look like the things that they end up doing. It's harder for our society to know how to protect children. So the list at least is some kind of guide to help us to keep our children safe. Yeah. David, most people who commit sex crimes are not registered sex offenders because they were not reported, not convicted, or were not mandated to register. Does that mean sex offender registries are ineffective? You talked a little bit about this earlier, or does it mean that they should be tougher and add more offenders to the list? No, we, we definitely need more offenders. You know, I mean, if there is to be a list. There needs to be more people taken off, you know, because I live in Pennsylvania. If I was to go outside and urinate in public and a cop came by and arrested me, I would be charged with indecent exposure and be put on the registry for 15 years. Put on so, the sex offender registry? Yes, I would be put on the sexual offender registry for 15 years for indecent exposure. So wow. what 
when when you think about this offender registry and you think about sex offenses, it's this huge umbrella where on one end you have statutory rape, you have um, just sending indecent pictures to somebody. On the far end, you have rape and you have child molestation. Uh, when we think about it, there's only 25% of the people on the sexual offender registry that actually have committed a child molestation where they molested a child. So 75% of the people on the registry, which is about 750,000 people, haven't even harmed a child, you know? And so that's where we, we get this thing. Typically when somebody hears the word sex offender, they automatically think that that person's Yes, I automatically think that that person has offended a child sexually. You're absolutely right. So where did this line of thinking come from? Because it is ingrained in most of society. It, it comes media. from TV shows. It comes from SVU. It comes from other stuff like that, you know, and individuals not looking at the data, not looking at scholars like Dr. Alyssa Ackerman and Dr. Alyssa, Alexa Sardina and Dr. Emily Horowitz, Dr. Chrysanthi Leon. These are individuals who have been doing research around sexual offenses for 15, 20 years. Dr. Alyssa Ackerman and Alexa Sardina are both survivors of sexual abuse, and now they're working and studying sexual offenses. And Dr. Ackerman actually leads restorative justice classes with men in California to help them heal, you know? And I think, you know, we have to get rid of the criminal, we have to go away from the criminal legal system when we're talking about sexual offenses because the victim not get healed in our system. It does not get healed in our legal system. So we need to have this place where the victim is actually able to talk to the person who's harmed them and ask them why and to get through these healing so they can start moving on from the trauma and the hurt that they experience as a so child. I want to make sure I'm <clears throat> hearing you clearly. You're saying 75% on the sexual offenders list have not offended children sexually. Yes. Yeah, that's news to me. Ray, you wanted to chime in there? Well, I mean, David brings some solid facts. Uh, thank you, David, for, you know, bringing that. So, I mean, that basically puts in context what this list really is. It's a lot of bloat. So if you look at a sex offender list page by page, you just think to yourself out of one out of every four of those might have been an actual person who committed a defense. But like David said, it could be just as simple as going outside and urinating in public. If a police officer catches you, that could be a, a, a sex offense. That's qualified as a sex offense. But Sammy. I also want to add that if you rape somebody who is an adult, you would be on the sexual offender list. So it doesn't always have to be children who are yeah. people we need to protect. We need yeah. to protect vulnerable people. Let's be a little broader in our conversation. Uh, just because the majority of people are not on the list doesn't mean the list isn't any good. It means to, we need to redefine who needs to be there, how long they need to be born, what for what purpose. But we do need the list. It, it, it provides some sense of safety in a community where we know that people can harm each other or expose their genitals unnecessarily and need help for it. It doesn't mean the list isn't good. It means our treatment and our but protection isn't good. But, but you, I have, you, 
thing when you were talking earlier, you said that we have to be mindful about the pastor. We have to be mindful about the police officer. We have to be mindful of the professor. 95 sexual offenses are happening by people who have never been arrested or and aren't on the registry, you know? So that's why we go to education. That's why we have to go to prevention. It's not about just having a list. I don't, I don't look at a list. I don't care if somebody lives next to me that's committed a sexual offense because I know that I'm protecting my child and my wife and they know signs to be aware of if something like that's going to happen or if there's any type of grooming. I, I agree with you, David, but I, I do think that we need to educate our communities about sexual offense. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I'm Tammy Mack. And the Business of Being Black today is the Sexual Offenders Registries. Uh, Dr. Wyatt, I want you to complete your thought before we left for break. Uh, you were uh, re- referencing uh, David's uh, comments earlier. I think what I was trying to say was that we need to do more to educate communities. We need better treatment. We need better prevention. I think that our schools are a great resource for where we can have these conversations with children. However, um, I think the school boards need an education because one group of parents should not wipe out the opportunity for all children to have access to human sexuality education, what it is. They need to know the parts of their bodies and the proper names. A penis is not a pee-pee. But Dr. Wyatt, you said that this sexual offender list is not just for children. I think there's some education to be had when it comes to the registry itself. Uh, We found out that 75% of the registry has nothing to do with uh, offending children sexually. um, And and that you can be put on this list if you uh, just, if you're caught using the registry. your genitals. Yes, if you expose yourself in public. You right. can be on that list, but you can also rape an adult and be on that list. So the rape, the, the list is not just for people who offend with children. It's for people who offend, period. Or public. And I think the education yeah. needs to come with who can be put on the sexual yes. offenders registry, because I'm telling you, uh, as I stand here today, I honestly thought it was all about protecting our children. And I'm sure that's what most of America thought. Doc- Dr. Walker. Yeah, and I, you know, Tammy, that's a great point. That's what I talked about earlier about the, the 2006 law because it a highlights specifically which crimes relating to sexual offenses, and obviously, it's just not it's not children. But I think there's a really inc- important points to make here. So I don't hear anyone making an argument that the registry is protecting children or other individuals, women, etc. Uh, you know, those with various disabilities because we didn't talk about that. Very exceptionalities. We didn't talk about people who have varying exceptionalities who need to be protected by certain offenders. So the bottom line is in a society, you have to pass, sometimes you have to pay, pass laws and regulations to protect populations that may be at risk for being victimized. And so does that mean that the system at the federal state level is perfect? No, it's not. And that's why we have to advocate and work with policymakers, to, like I said earlier, to, ch- to amend the system. But the bottom line is, and certainly as, as, a, as a parent, it's really important for me to know someone who committed a sexual offense is living in my community. I have a right to know that because then, then when we talk about prevention, then I can educate my child that there's someone in the community that you need to be careful to avoid. Mm-hmm. Also, we want to make sure when we talk about these sexual offenses, I want to make a point I, I talked about earlier, is sexual offenses in the United States are underreported. So we're not overreporting these assaults. They're happening every single day and they're not being reported. I'm going to give you an example, Tammy. How often is it that we see stamp something trending on social media? 
and particularly when it comes to issues relating to some of these high profile rape cases. And then you see all the women who have posted on social media that said they've never reported their sexual assault. Right. So we do need prevention. and Education is really important, uh, as my uh, colleague highlighted. But we also need a registry so we can ensure people in the community are protected and they can educate their children about people in their community who who may be someone they want to avoid. But are, are we walking a fine line, Dr. Walker, when we tell our children to be uh, guarded by specific people, when we know as adults that you should be guarded by all people? Well, listen, I agree that, you know, you have to be you have to be wary of a lot of people in our society. We talk about gun violence in our, you know, how how consistent we see gun violence in schools and various local communities. So, yeah. So as as a parent and certainly as as an educator, you want to tell children there there are certain, you know, things you have to look out for. Um, You know, certainly myself growing up in the city. Because when I hear you say when I hear you say that, the only like I get a visual in my head of me saying to my little daughter, Sherry, uh, you know, hey, watch out for Mr. Johnny. Mr. Johnny has committed a sexual offense and I can just picture my daughter running past, you know, Mr. Johnny every time she sees Mr. Johnny or being afraid and running back into the house when she sees Mr. Johnny. When the truth of the matter is also, you know, Mr. Wayne across the street could also be there, but just not on the list. Right. And that goes that goes to underreporting. And that's why we talk about colleague talked about, you know, prevention. Or he could not have been caught. So, well, that's true. And that's that's again, that issue of underreporting these offenses in the United States. That's a big issue, too, of all the people who've been victims of of sexual assault, who has who, you know, of various ages, who've never who've never reported for various reasons. David, I see you want to jump in here. Let's get it. Yeah. So. I was able to preach at a, a church a, couple, a year ago, year or two ago. The assistant pastor asked me afterwards, he's like, David, if I have somebody who's committed a sexual offense move into my neighborhood, what should I do? You know what I told him? Go knock on the door and introduce yourself to him, you know, and get to know them. And don't just, like you said, I mean, if you're going to tell your daughter or your son that, oh, this person did that, you know, you need to stay away from them. Okay, I understand the safety aspect. You're, like, you, like you said, Tammy, they're now the boogeyman. They're now this monster who could have been a good friend to the family, though you would be prepared in, around different things as far as him being by themselves or her being by themselves around the child. So what we have, it, it's all about changing the narrative. You know, we can't say just because somebody committed a sexual offense that they're this monster and they're never going to change. Because right. if you get data. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, David. The data. Yeah. The data shows that they change. That's why they're not coming out and recidivating it or committing other sexual offenses as the media wants you to think, think that these sexual offenses are happening by people on the registry by 60 to 80%. And that's what they were thinking in the late 90s, early 2000s, that the population on the registry are the only ones committing sexual offenses. And that's why we have to educate. That's why I love going to universities and talking about these issues. Ray, is it fair that... um... If I were to have a next door neighbor, as David suggests, that's on the registry, I get to know them. Is it fair to ask, what was your sexual offense? <laughs> Absolutely. I think if you've already gone to the registry nine times out of 10, it's already listed there. So, so it's David, listed exactly what the crime was. 
No, they're, they have a charge listed. But to get context, sometimes the way the crimes are listed, and this is in any context, someone might have aggravated assault, but you don't know what that means. So what David is saying is instead of othering a, a person because they're on that list, you should have a conversation with them. Because at the end of the day, these are still individuals. These are still people. And when you make a monster out of them, when you make them out of something to be feared, to be avoided, well, then you further, you further the stigma that they are not redeemable as people. So if, we're, if we all in this conversation believe and everybody has the right to pursue happiness, then you wouldn't agree with at least some of these laws. I understand everybody here believes in public safety, but I also believe that everybody here believes that at some point, if a person checks all of the boxes and does what they're supposed to do once they've been uh, incarcerated or if they've been charged with a crime, then they should have the right to move on. But I maybe understand. I want them to be the boogeyman at the expense of my child's safety. Me yeah. personally, I have a 20 month old son and no. Hmm. The Human Rights Watch states that while many resources are used to prevent repeat offenders, those resources should actually be used to try uh, to prevent the first offense from happening and for evidence based treatments and recovery for both the victims and perpetrators of sex crimes. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Dr. Wyatt? I think it's a great idea. It's just very difficult to legislate. Most parents need an education themselves before they get to school boards, before they vote for certain people. So they understand sexuality is going to be here. It's something usually done in private. You cannot identify people as well as you can behaviors. If you tell your child, if someone wants you to pull down their pants, you stop and say, I need to call my mother or I need to call my family member or you can't do that. We're all by ourselves. They need to know about the behaviors that are inappropriate and not the people. Because and we need to take a quick break again <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be right back because I want to talk about Dr. Walker's point again about the unreported cases as well. So let's take a quick break on business of being black with Tammy Mack on Fox Soul and we'll be right back. What are your thoughts Dr. Walker, on sex registries being incapable of doing anything to fix the number of sexual assault cases that go unreported. You've talked about that uh, uh, quite a few times on the show. So what's the fix here? Well, I think it's important to note that the registry is just one way in which to address this issue. We, my colleagues have talked about it, prevention and education is, is, and, and certainly treatment is, is another option. But, you know, the, you know, in terms of the registry, it is just one piece of the puzzle to address this issue, societal, societal issue. So I think that's, for me, my perspective on it. And it's like the registry list is a, is, is a necessity, but it is just one piece of this challenging puzzle, Tammy. Ray, how do we fix this? How do we fix, uh, how do we make the sexual offender list fair? Uh, I mean, it even sounds weird saying it out loud. Yeah, absolutely. It's not going to happen overnight. But one thing I would push is for legislation to re-examine uh, the term limits or lack thereof on these registrations because basically it's a violation of the fifth amendment which is double jeopardy and in this case you can be charged simply for not registering again so if you're charged for a sex offense once they can charge you twice for that same offense just for not registering it could be something as simple as 
having to move at a moment's notice. Why haven't so, hasn't anyone uh, fought that particular stance? Because it's a very interesting stance. Well, just because, like uh, Mr. David said, uh, from a media standpoint, it's not popular to protect sex offenders, and rightfully so. Everybody wants to protect their children, rightfully so. Everybody wants to protect their most vulnerable family members, uh, females, elderly, etc. But what these laws are doing is they're painting a broad brush for a bunch of people. You're you're putting violent sex offenders on with nonviolent sex offenders who have never even committed a contact. You know, just like something as simple as possession of child pornography, you may not have done anything as, as simple as clicking a button. And if it contains child pornography, if the authorities are tracking it, they can charge you for possession of child for pornography for life, for just clicking something. Something and you never that you had no idea that that was even gonna pop on your computer. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the way social media is, people share everything. So if somebody shares it with you, it's in your possession now. Wow. I mean, that's that's well, heavy. it, it speaks a lot company. to being careful about what you're looking at on, on the computer. Come on now. People are not innocent. It doesn't just pop up. You you follow threads and the threads have to do with sex and they have to do with porn and they have to do with being aggressive towards somebody. It leads you into a, a website or an area that talks about sexual offense. Well, but what Ray is saying, someone can send you something. And that reminds me of the R. Kelly tapes back in the 90s uh, when people were passing around the R. Kelly tape, uh, alleged R. Kelly tape, I should say. uh, And and people were watching. I mean, innocent people, people who never watch pornography in their lives, people who are not sexual offenders, they were watching the tape just to see if this was true about their, you know, their, their favorite R&B artist. And what Ray is saying is under those circumstances, everybody who saw that tape should be on the list. Well, exactly. I don't think we're talking about everybody who's innocently just getting a, a tape of something that went on with R. Kelly. For the most uh- we're talking about people who have hurt somebody else sexually. They've also no. harmed them. These are people I see in therapy and they are by no means casually there. They have difficulty sleeping, eating, relating to other people. They don't trust, they don't do well in school and they have very difficult relationships. So let's not make it all seem like everybody's innocent and you can just by accident get into this. There's a lot we need to do to clean this system up and to be more vigilant about what goes on in our communities. David? Being hurt by sexual offenses. So I have things to, two, two things to say as far as this. One, you know, when you look at a, a lot of the kids and teens that are on the sexual offender registry right now, a lot of them are on there now because they were sharing sexually explicit videos. You know, there's a couple they have said the, bo- the boyfriend shares the video with two guys. All four of those individuals now have disseminated child pornography. That is the law. That is how the the legal system looks at that, you know. So that's happening with a lot of kids now. The second thing I have to say is this, you know, there's so many people on the registry right now, too, that had their offenses happen before (laughs) making their offenses happen before Adam's Walsh law and legally... They're not supposed to be on the registry, but 
because the the lawyers and the legal system is trying to maneuver things like they want to. These individuals who shouldn't be on the registry are now on the registry. There's actually a case in California right now where a gentleman got his sentence expunged. So the governor wiped out his sexual offense uh, charge from years ago. And the federal government is trying to put him back on the registry. This yeah, is there, there's a- certainly a lot to unpack here, David. Uh, Ray, tell us about your work that you do with Pure Justice, please. Well, my work with Pure Justice, I am a Pure Justice advocate for legislative change. And what we're hoping is that by educating the public and doing the research and then bringing these facts to the public, we can basically peel back some of the stigma that is attached to individuals who have been charged with said offenses. And it's not just limited to sex offenses, but all offenses. Everyone should have a legal right to be able to claim their name at some point if they've went through a process and that process said that they were guilty. We're just saying at some point there should be a reevaluation process to take people off this list. Thank you. It shouldn't be for us. Dr. Wyatt, uh, what can you tell us about healing our hearts, minds, and body, a.k.a. HHMB, for men and women of color living with HIV, cardiovascular disease, and trauma? I think what you eat, what you do every day, the people that you associate with can increase your stress to to the extent that you can be overweight. You can have all kinds of heart problems, blood pressure problems, and suffer health-wise, in ways that we not really connected to stress. And one of the most prevalent experiences is racism. Racism is now identified as a source of stress. It's something that people don't even realize they should tell a therapist about or tell a teacher or minister or police person about. Yeah, that's become a part of our normal life if you are. Yes, we're so accustomed to it. We don't even realize it's something that can harm us create health problems for us that we're not even aware of. So getting in touch with what it means to be Black and the toll that it sometimes can take. It's wonderful, but it also can hurt you. Thank you. Dr. Walker, please share with us your work. How can we keep up? Yeah, so Tammy, you can catch me hopefully on your show, uh, but also on uh, Roland Martin uh, Unfiltered. I'm on there frequently. Also, I've been currently doing some work and working with some uh, professors at other institutions and corporations in terms of how to be more media savvy. So they can look forward to that, a new initiative coming out soon. Thank you. David, please tell us about the National Association for Rational Sexual Offense Laws. Yeah, so this is an organization that is uh, national. We also have state affiliates of the country. Um, And what we're doing is we're working to abolish the registry. We are a group of individuals who are on the registry, family members, other advocates, and also have a lot of uh, professors, doctors who are doing research around the registry and around sexual offenses, recidivism rates. So definitely take a look at our website, look at different affiliates through country. And if you are involved or on the registry, if you have family members, definitely reach out to us because what we want to do is we want to provide that help, that hope, and that assistance to anybody on the registry. Thank you so much. Thank you all for being a part of this show and educating us. If you or someone you know needs help or someone to talk to regarding sexual abuse, you can contact the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-HOPE. 
That's 800-656-4673 or visit them online at R-A-I-N-N dot org. That's the business of being black with Tammy Mack.